0: B.B. Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast, media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilley. Let's get to it. B.B. Fajodier, this is Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilley. I am here with uh, major contributors, Brother Amos and Brother Makaroo. I'll start out by saying clearly that the Ma'afa continues. The manga Mizi is still alive as evidence of the ongoing assault on African people. Uh, it is necessary, once again, we want to reiterate this point to keep the idea of sovereignty alive. People may ask the question, What is sovereignty? It is the opposite of the state of existence which we now live in. You and the listening audience, you need to contemplate that and come up with your own definitions at some point in time. Hopefully, we can synthesize in some type of organization. You know, it is obvious to me that presence and volume of any particular misleader who lacks. Decision-making power constitutes no more than powerless visibility. Our state is pathetic. The collective African condition, 1971. Sam Yeti wrote a book called The Choice. He raised an open-ended question. Do we want to be whited out of existence? <laughs> That's the relevant question. you know, And, uh, 2019, once again, it's incumbent upon us to sound the evoking. Sidney Wilhelm asked the question many years ago, who needs the Negro? And of course, our esteemed brother, Amos Wilson, reminded us, in many instances, it seems to no avail, that the history of the European and his relationship with the indigenous people is a history of a... Relationship where the European had no more economic use for the indigenous person. Uh, You know, so much to do, so little time. What are the inhibitors? Brothers on this show have asked the question revolution or comfort. What are we looking for, fundamental change or do we want painless reform? A daunting task, suffice it to say, sovereignty requires the removal of Urugu and their loyalists from our minds and spaces. This can be accomplished immediately. Clearly, there will be a real healing once we have accomplished this
1: personal task. Take it away, gentlemen. Bibi Fajotier, African family. Always good to have another opportunity to discuss the issues affecting the African world and bring some awareness to uh, some of the things that uh, may not be at the forefront of a lot of our people, given all of the distractions and the madness uh, of this society in general. I mean, all of us, to a certain extent, are influenced by the fact that in America, Entertainment is the opiate of the masses, and, of course, everybody needs uh, a moment of, of relief, but a lot of us are totally consumed by, you know, this, this keeping up with whatever the latest um, celebrity is doing, whether it's on the, uh, the hardwood, the football field, or the performing stage, or the big screen, or wherever. Uh, a couple of things we posted on African Liberation media this week that uh, people may not have mentioned or may not have connected the dots to. There was this guy that was uh, captured uh, in Afghanistan. Um, his name was John Lind, I think, and uh, he 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 was given the name the uh, the American Taliban. and he was actually fighting with the Taliban. He said he never engaged in combat against American soldiers, but he was certainly fighting with with the Taliban, who the the United States uh, government was at war against in in Afghanistan. Uh, He was captured, he was sentenced to 20 years. He was released this week after serving 17 years. And uh, he got out uh, three years early because of good behavior. And uh, this caused This caused us to reflect on our warriors, our political prisoners, who were fighting on the battlefields of the wilderness of the white supremacist landscape of the United States, who are given no breaks whatsoever. Uh, This guy can serve 17 years. Mumia Abu-Jamal has been in in prison, uh, incarcerated since 1981. We have several members of uh, the Move organization, for example, who were, were who were attacked by the police, and uh, of course some of them were attempting to defend themselves, and uh, you know Delbert Africa, for example, is uh, has been in incarcerated since 1978, and other members of uh, Move, uh, Janet Holloway Africa, since 1978. So uh Jalil Mutaquim, former Black Panther and Black Liberation Army member uh, he was convicted of uh, murdering uh a police officer uh, of course the police officers were murdering members of the Black Panther party uh he's been incarcerated since 1971 so uh, Matula Shakur for example has been incarcerated uh the uncle of uh, Tupac Shakur has been incarcerated since 1986 and Russell Maroon Schultz, one of the boldest members of the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army. The police gunned down a young black male in the streets of Philadelphia. He was 16 years old. Russell Maroon Schultz, according to uh, the stories, organized a group and they actually attacked the police station. Uh, I, I would dare to say that uh, people like Zimmerman wouldn't probably be walking around with these guys uh, you know if, if with the uh, consciousness we had in the 1970s. Uh, Russell Maroon shows he's been been uh, very ill recently and so uh, we ask for everybody to um, send their prayers up for this true warrior I mean who attacks a police station after they gun a black a young black kid down in the street Sundi Akoli, of course who was with um, the warrior queen, Asada Shakur, when uh, they were stopped by the police and the police started shooting at them, they shot back, or at least uh, some of them shot back. Asada never really had a chance to shoot back or because she was shot herself, but Sundiata is, uh, has been incarcerated since 1983. He's either 81 or 82 years old. Uh, they refused to give these guys any, any kind of... Um, uh, uh, you know parole anything the longest serving member is a uh, Romaine Chips Fitzgerald he's been incarcerated since 1969 he was convicted of the murder of a security guard and attempted murder of a highway patrol officer they they got stopped for a broken taillight and gunfire erupted you know I mean this is like uh, you know we see these stops with Sandra Bland Philando Castile we see these things happening over and over and over and over again. Well, when they were stopping these brothers and they started shooting, these brothers started shooting back. So Chip Fitzgerald has been in since 1969. He's the longest serving uh, member of the Black Panther Party. So we just wanted to call attention to uh, to our, our political prisoners, our warriors. Since the United States government, which claims to be so much at war with Islam, so much at war with with people in, uh, in Asia and Africa. Uh, this white man, white man that was a member of the Taliban, according to them, the American Taliban, he served 17 years and gets released on, on early, uh, release, early, three years early, because of good behavior and our warriors are still locked down behind bars. So that's one of the things that, that uh, happened this week that uh, I wanted to talk about. Well, almost
2: I looked out at all of the the recent examples that you sent of these white terrorists being locked up, even after shooting cops <laughs> uh so it's a situation where you see you know that they have a gun and they still get peacefully arrested mm. but when it's even a thought that an African man a woman has any type of weapon, it's automatically open season for these cops.
1: Yeah, imaginary weapons. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, uh, Amadou Diallo, a wallet, right? Uh, a cell phone. Someone, uh, what's the brother name out in Sacramento, was holding a cell phone. Clark. Uh, you know, empty hands. And uh, I don't know, did, did you see the one where the, the brother had a, a trash grabber <laughs> and the police don't put your weapon down, so a trash grabber is a weapon, but go ahead, brother Almo
2: yeah, I mean it, it just it just speaks to the the way that they really don't value not just that they don't value the lives of African people, but the rush that they get out of killing African people. uh I think when they have a green light for them for Europeans, murdering black people is the same. Uh, rush that they get from having sex Hmm. you know they have an orgasm Hmm. off of spilling the blood of our people
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and I mean it's it's evident in, in what we're seeing I don't know if it's one white gunman in a mass shooting that's been killed by police officers outside of them committing suicide Maybe you have to give me an example, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. I can't either. I mean there's numerous examples over and over and over again. So I think that if you want to level the playing field, some of these black officers are gonna to need to step up and they're gonna start they need to start treating the white suspects the same way that the cops treat black suspects.
1: Well, and then when you saw what happened in Minnesota, right?
0: The brother was convicted for having killed the white woman.
1: And the family received $20 million. Okay.
0: So, we're talking about institutionalized racism. Uh, (laughs) And there seems to be no resolution in sight. People march. You can have a black... Chief of a police unit, black officers, yet, you know, we still continue to be gunned down. Uh, And there is no resolution, you know, to what Dr. King described many years ago as black people being killed in America as if it's a national pastime.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, so. Yeah, I, one of the things I ponder over nightly, I think, is uh, the paradigm put forth by Dr. Sizemore, Barbara Sizemore, years ago. She asked us to, you know, look at the problems, causes, solutions, and the implementation. You know, the three of, and the fourth phase of what she asked us to do uh, are two areas that we really don't delve into effectively, uh, and that's, that's something that really needs to be considered, uh, we lack think tanks, but these are some of the critical issues, I think, that, uh, that clearly, I mean, who will sound the horn, who will contemplate solutions to many of these issues
2: Uh, really what what black people need is a justice organization, and I don't mean a justice organization that tries to utilize the system created by Europeans to find justice. Yeah. You need an organization that is built off of getting retributive justice when justice is not provided for the families of these victims. Because the only thing that's going to make them think twice is force. And unless you have people in place that can utilize the power that they have to create that force against these people, it's going to continue to happen. There's really nothing that that can be done outside of that. Because we've already seen, like you stated, fighting for within the system, it's not going to work. So there has to be a fear of consequence. The same way that they created mandatory minimum sentences to try to create a fear in people from committing crimes, there has to be a fear of consequence from people who carry out these acts that if I do this, then something can possibly happen to me, something can possibly happen to my family. And I don't want to put myself in that position, so I'm going to think twice before I before I act and pull that trigger.
0: Someone somewhere is writing these draconian laws, okay, which allow the police unions, the police force to act with impunity. You know, who are these people putting forth these pieces of legislation, you know, what entity uh, supports many of these lobbyists who are hiring these indentured politicians uh, to enact many of these laws? You know, I think is
2: a step in the right direction. You know, along with what you're saying. Right. I mean, you, you're exactly right. I mean, the skirt needs to be lifted up on on the entire system. Yeah. And these pe- these people need to be hassled, they need to be, um, exposed, um, to put the pressure on them to do what they're supposed to be doing. Otherwise, I mean, if there's no pressure for them to act, then we just gonna see the same the same situation repeat itself. Well, you, you can't even debate it, brother. You know and you know, I, I I really grow
0: tired, um, you know, listen, white folk and black folk talk about uh, putting the right people in positions. Yeah, that's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is what can we do to make power afraid of us? You know, there's a plethora of um, tactics, and new tactics will emerge, hopefully, uh, that we hope to implement going forward to keep
2: power in a state of fear. And even and even when you talk about putting the right people in the right positions, those people, even when they're in those positions, are not going to have the momentum for what they're trying to pass, um, be passed without some force behind the situation. So, I mean, what when, when I'm saying here is that mm-hmm. You always talk about, Baba Mocker always talks about having the power to influence public policy. Yes, sir. Well, one of the quickest ways to make the government react is is in most cases creating a chaotic situation that they have to respond to. Okay. And in doing that, you create a situation where it's no longer uh, 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 we'll wait six months, we'll wait 12 months, We'll wait twelve years, we'll wait twenty years when we finally fi- you know, feel like getting around to it. It's this is an emergency situation, we have to respond. Or else something is gonna devastate is gonna to happen to us. So if they don't feel any pressure that anything's gonna to happen to them, then then they're not gonna they're not gonna respond. They're not gonna they're not gonna change any any of these laws. And not even changing the laws, but Enforcing the laws that are there. The law is only good as its enforcement.
0: You know, one of the things that Dr. Toure used to talk about is organization. You know, he would uh, clearly articulate the fact that we have we 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 respond spontaneously, and he felt it absolutely necessary that we transform our struggle from spontaneous rebellion to organized revolt so that we could keep hitting the system, keep hitting the system, you know, tactically uh, to hopefully bring about change. You know, he was um, a firm advocate of this vis-a-vis rioting spontaneously and then sitting down for 20 years. (laughs) You know, and of course, we know the pattern there. We riot, of course, they call in the police. There's a long wait. The cops are given a trial. They're given an acquittal. They bring the preachers in. Uh, the family is given compensation, but this is not justice.
2: And, and one, the, of, and then one then, of the things that I never, I never see happen when this happens is a lot of these cops fade off under the radar, and they either you know are on administrative leave for a few years and they come back and they start working again, sometimes even if they're fired, they sort of fade off into the sunset and people forget about it when it's not in the news. But what if there was a situation where when these cops commit these these crimes, their whole life is flipped upside down to their family members being exposed, people showing up at their children's school, If that type of stuff started to happen, a lot of these cops would be in fear of doing the things that they're doing because they know it's a consequence that not just me, I might not just get affected, but the people around me or my loved ones might also be affected by the consequences that take place.
1: Well, you know, the the thing of it is is that the mass-based philosophy of white supremacy affects the whole system and that's 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 the problem you know my daughter's always saying that it is it, very difficult to get through all of the layers mm. of the so-called criminal justice system without being confronted or impacted by white supremacy at some level whether it's the you know you start with the officer in the street and obviously all officers in the streets are not white supremacists but the the the, 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 the mass based philosophy has an impact on on the way people act and respond. Then you, know, you got the prosecutors, you you have a you have a judge, uh you know, you have a, a, a grand jury, a jury. I mean, so all getting through all these layers, but but what we see, you know, what we're talking about, and you know, people will say, well man, those guys are they just they irrational. They're crazy. What what they're saying. But we had the case in Auburn, Alabama. White man kills one officer, wounds two, is arrested. Police responded to a 911 call at a trailer park in Auburn and were met by uh, this guy named Grady Wayne Wilkes. He's a former uh, U.S. Uh, Army veteran. And um, he opened fire on the police with an AR-15. And uh, and, and, and he got away. They said he... Uh, they sent out all kinds of messages. He was uh, armed and wearing camouflage uh, body armor and a helmet, so this, this guy was this guy was ready for war. This guy was ready for war. Uh, he was captured a few miles from the trailer park, according to his social media. Uh, Wilkes was in uh, Army National Guard E Company, um, airborne. So I mean, I guess he was still active, uh, you know, in the uh, in the National Guard down down there in Alabama. And so, so when 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 the police when they surround him, here's a man that's already killed police. He's already killed one police officer. He's already wounded too. You know, Michael Brown Jr. hadn't killed anybody. Tamir Rice, Michael Brown was only, only had his hands. Tamir Rice was playing with a toy gun these people get killed within a matter of seconds. And even the brother here in Charlotte, Dan Queers, Franklin, who was attempting to drop his gun was given 44 seconds, 44 seconds before the officer killed him. Now what happens is in the case of Michael Brown Jr. and Tamir Rice, there is no punishment for the officer within the system. And, um, we have to ask guys, I mean, somebody needs to tell me if it's not white supremacy, what is it that a white man can kill a police officer and be arrested? And a black man can, is Michael Brown Jr. was jaywalking. He was jaywalking. He was essentially killed for jaywalking.
2: Well, historically, I mean, the system was created to protect white people. Mm-hmm. And it was created to capture uh, and harass black people. There was an article in the Atlanta newspaper in 1948. Come on. And the article, the, the, the title of the uh, headline of the newspaper was Negro Police in Atlanta. And in the article, the first paragraph, it says, The Negro police are patrolling the streets in Atlanta, Georgia, for the first time they have been instructed not to arrest white persons.
1: Exactly. They weren't even allowed to patrol white communities (laughs) because, you know, everything was segregated at that time. So,
2: So, I mean, fundamentally, we still see this now when you talk about the Mohammed Norris of the world who feared for his life but didn't get the same blue wall of protection from the prosecutor on down to, you know, the judge and the jury, this brother was convicted and found guilty of charges, far harsher charges than the prosecutor would normally bring against a police officer for murdering a black person.
1: Yeah, they, 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 they made sure that uh, they gave the jury enough options that he would be convicted. And, you know, and as, as opposed to, uh, I think it was Yanis that killed Philando Castile. I mean, he wasn't given that, they weren't given that range of options. Uh, the same with George Zimmerman. A, a lot of uh, legal uh, eagles uh, said that Zimmerman, at a bare minimum, you know, as, as they were given the uh, manslaughter charges or second degree murder charges, he should have also been charged with felony stalking because he stalked Trayvon Martin so at least send him to jail for something but th- there were two other cases that uh exploded in, in the news um uh Oscar Grant was killed i think many people have seen the movie Fruitvale Station mm-hmm. uh was killed in Oakland in uh 2009 and uh so so we're going to start a uh on our Facebook page a, a title called lying speeches their native tongue and uh We'd probably fill the page up every day if we could cover everything. But um, what what they found out, uh, th- there's a new trans- police transparency law in, in California. And um, some uh, right people were able to use this law to go back and look at the 2009 killing of Oscar Grant Jr. And what they found out is that Bay Area Rapid Transit Officer Anthony Peroni, now this is not the guy that killed him, but he started it. It says, Peroni started a cascade of events that ultimately led to the shooting. Peroni called Grant the N-word while detaining him, hit him in the face in an unprovoked attack, and later gave a series of false statements contradicted by investigators. And then, of course, then this other officer, Miss Shirley, killed him and only wound up doing less than two years. Um, And so when we hear about something like this, now here's a police officer that's just straight up lied about the, the series of events they provoke he provoked the whole thing i mean i don't who i don't care who you get hit in the face you if you are any kind of man you gonna fight back regardless of the situation right and um so we found out that and then there's this uh what i would call a mockery of justice the trial of, um, it's not a trial, really. It's, it's, it's a police hearing against um, uh, Patello, Daniel Patello, the guy that put Eric Garner in a chokehold uh, for selling uh, loose cigarettes. And um, uh, in, an NYPD officer admitted on Tuesday that he trumped up the charges against Garner in an effort to justify his chokehold death. Officer Justin Domenico testified that after riding in an ambulance with the dying Garner, now he's in the ambulance with Garner while Garner's dying, he went, he went ahead on his own and filled out arrest papers listing a felony tax charge. Just last week it was reported that um, NYPD Lieutenant Christopher Bannon and Sergeant uh, Damien Smithers we're texting shortly after Patello used a ban chokehold on, on, on Garner. When learning Garner might be dead on arrival at the hospital, Bannon then sent the following text, no big deal. So now the police, they, they, they have this information. Now, like I said, now the, the officer that, that, that killed Eric Garner has been cleared. The only thing that can happen to him is that he can be fired from his job. He's been sitting on his desk job. Uh, working, earning, you know, taxpayer money ever since he killed um, Garner. What was that? 2014, was it? Or 2015? Um, so he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been sitting, he's been sitting on, you know, doing desk duties since then, since he killed uh, Eric Garner. And the only thing that can happen to him is he can get fired from his job. And now we find out all these other officers this is the conspiracy that goes to work. Now, it didn't work for uh, Officer Knorr in, uh, in in Minnesota, but all of these guys conspire to to try to justify the killing. And and as a matter of fact, I mean, we've seen so many cases where if there wasn't a video, an independent video like Walter Scott, the officer would clearly get away because mm. he walked up and placed the taser right by you know, Walter Scott's body is it? Walter Scott had taken his taser in and, and, you know, and was running with it. So, you know, this is the system, uh, that, 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 that we're totally up against. And, you know, I don't know what solution there is other than, you know, the kind of massive disruptive actions, uh, you know, that, that, that you would, that you were talking about. One other thing, let me just go, this happened here in, uh, in uh, North Carolina, there was a 65 year old sister was listening to Malcolm X tapes sitting outside of her home. And uh, she was playing these tapes and her white neighbor called the police complaining that uh, his neighbor was playing, you know, hate speech and whatnot, (laughs) okay. And so, um, so, now this has happened to her with this neighbor at least twice. OK, she's not in violation of the noise ordinance because she was playing the tape during the day in the noise ordinance in the city. Garner is located in Wake County outside of Raleigh. The noise ordinance is on is only in effect between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. The police come over to our house. They take all of her equipment. They take all of her equipment. They charge her with a class three misdemeanor. And she faces a five hundred dollar fine for playing Malcolm X speeches, while a white neighbor complained to the police. In not in in no violation of the law, she hasn't violated, in she didn't violate the noise ordinance <laughs> of the city, but nevertheless she's been arrested and charged. And see, and, and so what I think, what I think all of this is a reflection of. Is in my mind a recapitulation of the overthrow of Reconstruction, where the, the white supremacy dynamic went on what they call a redemption campaign and they 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 systematically stripped away all of the laws. This is what Amos Wilson talks about in um, in uh which one is it? The uh what's the yellow book? Uh Eurocentric uh the falsification of African Consciousness. Yes. He talks about how you can have laws on the books and these laws can be changed at any moment or not enforced. Mm -hmm. So we actually, believe it or not, a lot of people will not, but we actually have more law. The radical Republicans, the white men, the the only white politicians in this country that ever really did anything in terms of justice, in my opinion, they passed the Freedmen's Bureau Act, which was supposed to give us, you know, 40 acres of land, Um, They had, they passed more laws than any, any group of politicians that really could have affected uh, the justice of, of Africans in America, but the white supremacy dynamic eventually organized against them and they were able to overturn all of this. And then they went on a violent campaign, a violent campaign to Make sure that all of the, the, the rights that had been given African Americans were totally stripped away. They attacked and destroyed communities. There were places, you know, like the Memphis Massacre in, in uh, 1866, the Colfax Massacre in Louisiana in uh, 1876, uh, the, uh, the overthrow of the elected government in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898. Th- th- this is a violent campaign. They call it redemption. And so I think what we see taking place today is a recapitulation of that. Now, it, it may not have reached that level of intensity, but then again, it may have because whereas you may not say have a, a, a Colfax where, you know, like uh, what, 175 people were killed, black people were killed. You may not have that, but then if you spread it out all across the entire country in terms of individual acts, you know, you could get those. Those kind of numbers, but but the important thing to understand is that it, the same mentality exists. You know, in Mississippi, they 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 said the only way to keep black people from voting is to have a policy led by the shotgun. They call it the shot. The Mississippi plan was called the shotgun policy, and so this is just simply going to the polls and voting, right? <laughs> and then even when 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 people economically developed their own communities, you know, these were attacked and destroyed. So th- this is what we're up against. And the, and the question is, I mean, at, 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 what, at what point do, do we say enough is enough, right? Because we have that taking place. And then we have these, these uh, people in our community who are totally out of control, desensitized to their spirituality, you know, just, just randomly shooting and killing our own people. I don't I don't know of, of anything comparable uh, to this situation that, that we're faced with now. I don't know of anything comparable. I mean, you know, it's chattel slavery had its idiosyncrasies, American apartheid had its idiosyncrasies. This is something totally different. It's like a combination of a lot of those characteristics and then there are additional things that that are taking place uh that that makes this this particular uh, trying to develop a, a mass struggle at this particular point it's be, it becomes very 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 difficult but at some point i do believe that somebody will say hey man <laughs> all of this other stuff ain't working so we're just going to take matters into our own hand i mean i just think if you, you you push you can only push people so far before something like that happens
2: Right. It's two sides to the law. I mean, you have force and you have finance. And on one side, police officers use force against black people because a lot of these white supremacists who are in these police uniforms are ready and waiting to be able to kill a black person. When that call comes across the radio, black man with a gun, that's the green light for, okay, it's target practice time. Let me go and see if I can kill me an N-word today. Mm-hmm. And then, in the other situation with the with the sister um, who got her equipment taken for playing the Malcolm X tapes, what I mean by the finance aspect of it is these police officers know that they can put these ridiculous charges on people when they're not breaking the laws because they know most people can't afford most black people can't afford any real legal representation, so they're already at odds when they go into the court system because they can't pay a high legal a high paid legal team to come in and defend their case- mm-hmm. you know like an o j could mm-hmm. to get off for killing those two white people right you know you got like you got the situation with Robert Kraft got caught in the in the uh, prostitution ring down in Florida. They're getting ready to throw his case out Hmm. because his legal team was able to go in and say that the tape that the police officers used as evidence against him was collected unconstitutionally. (laughs) So even though the judge, this this is how the American system works. Mm -hmm. They can see the evidence. The judge can clearly see the evidence, but they can make that evidence admissible in court if the legal team was able to prove something like that. So it's a difference between you have a, a, a rich person who can pay his way out of crime mm-hmm. and you have somebody that is in poverty or might not be able to afford the financial aspect of being able to get representation. So it's force and finance. Now, that's not saying that even if you do have the finance to represent yourself or get good representation – that you still not gonna be treated fairly because in this system, as we stated, it was created to protect white people. So as a black person, you had odds either way.
1: But you know, one thing one thing that would do. Let's say if somebody just had minimal finances to fight some of these charges, the 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 w- mass incarceration. Come on. The way mass incarceration has been able to be so effective is they. They they force people to take a plea bargain a lot of times for crimes that they didn't even commit.
2: And and able to do that mm-hmm. because a lot of times people have state spon- state sponsored attorneys assigned to them and these uh these lawyers really don't care about the the people that they're representing. Versus if they if they had money for a real lawyer, the, mm-hmm. the real lawyer would say, no, we're not taking this deal. We ain't taking it. And, and
1: and what they would do, and what would happen at that point, is you would the system would literally grind to a halt, because first of all, uh, they the, the the investigations a lot of time are just totally incompetent. They they the evidence is real shoddy, and 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 they don't even have they don't have the resources if they really had to prosecute all these people that they are picking up. Uh, with a nickel bag of weed or whatever they wouldn't they wouldn't they they the, the system would grind to a halt but what they do is you either take this plea bargain for five years or we're gonna throw the max at you and that's and that's generally and 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 that's generally what happened with the, the brothers who you know who have tried to fight it like you know our own good brother Ad, uh, adrian sundiata for example you know he fought it because he said i'm not taking a plea bargain for a crime that i didn't commit i may i may have committed some other crimes, but I didn't commit this particular crime you're trying to charge me with. He fought it and he winds up, he winds up getting time. And so, and and so that's the fear that hangs over the head. But, but, but your point is right on because it does, once again, it, it, it becomes, it becomes, you know, an example of how, uh, you know, the rich are able to buy their way out of crime. It's, right?
0: l- it's like what Brother Malcolm said, this is a vicious, corrupt, hypocritical system that is castrated the black man. You're talking about 80 and 90% of the brothers who are incarcerated never went to trial, man. And then the laws are really written to ensure a high rate of recidivism. You know, brothers in Alabama who don't get paid at all in greater confinement, of course, you know, they have to spend $5 to get a Motrin. Or, you know, they have
2: to basically uh, succumb to the debt peonage situation. And that's what Garvey saw back in the the early 1900s, that's what he saw when he knew that this system would never change, it would always be an uphill battle. So, it's kind of like when you're in a bad business deal. You know, Garvey said, "Look, sometimes you got to cut your losses and move on." Yes, sir. And that really was the smart play. The smart play would have been to remove yourself from the system, start over, and create your own system. This is why, uh, you know, if if if, if if all of these African leaders were Garveyites. African Americans and Africans in the diaspora would have had an avenue to get out of this system over 50 years ago oh, yeah, because they would have opened the doors up in these various countries, allow people to get um, citizenship and be able to move and create opportunities for people on the continent, which would have done two things. It would have empowered black people on the continent. It would have brought in new ideas, and it would about the ideas of people who know the best way to fight against uh white supremacy because we face the the worst group of Europeans to ever exist on the planet was sent here. to the United snakes of America.
1: Yeah, right. The,
2: the criminals, the, the you know, the thugs, the murderers, uh all of those people were sent here and the, and the system was built off of that corruption. That's why the racist, the most racist Place historically, when it comes to the Maafa. when we look at how other Africans were able to keep their culture in, in, in different patches of the diaspora versus mm-hmm. what happened here. Yes, sir. The reason why this took place here is because this, this, these were the most vicious and vile white people from Europe sent here. Gar Garvey, uh, he had a great desire to rid
0: himself of this uh, sick madness, undoubtedly. Uh I can't remember who it was uh one of the brothers it might have been Milana Karinga who talked about uh, an island being a cultural container you know but Cl- Dr Clark Dr Clark You know mm. but you know even with the vastness of this uh racist American continent you know mother sold to Tennessee father sold to Florida they weren't looking for each other but in in island of course there was a greater sense of cultural continuity along with spirituality, which, you know, undoubtedly had a positive effect on many Africans who existed throughout the um, diaspora. Uh, you know, another point I want to make about this vicious system, you know, it, it it's, it's very painful, you know, when I study this debt peonage, you know, situation that uh, how many brothers who are marooned, faces at the bottom of the well, and the design, the evil design to really enhance recidivism, because all of a sudden the brother's in debt, you know, for having to uh, purchase certain necessities such as a Moltron or such as a blanket. He's released. Okay, you have a felony charge. Secondly, you're still indebted to the system. Now, if you cannot pay the state back, well, then this becomes uh, the basis for uh reincarcerating a brother so you know it's uh it you know we are on the edge of let me rephrase not on the edge of hell we're in the middle of hell
1: yeah and you know in terms of in terms of Garvey, uh one of the things that uh that we posted you know on the um the blog post that I did uh in honor of uh, you know celebrating ninety four years of our esteemed ancestor Oma Malcolm X, and yes, so this gets to gets to why you know you know we've stated that uh, the total scope and ideas and work of Bob Oma Malcolm X made him the most valuable leader of the entire African world. And I say the entire African world in uh, in nineteen sixty five. Let me just give you one example of where his thought process was. And, you know, this is, this is straight out of Garvey. This is absolutely straight out of Garvey. Malcolm said, if your power base is only here, you can forget it. You can't build a power base here. You have to have a, a power base among brothers and sisters. You have to have your power base among people who have something in common with you. They have to have some kind of cultural identity or there, there has to be some relationship between you in your power base, when you build your power base in this country, you're building it where you aren't in any way related to what you build it on. No, you have to have your, that base somewhere else. You can work here, but you'd better put your base somewhere else. Don't put it in this man's hand. Any organization that is based here can't be an effective organization. Anything you've got going for you, if the base is here, is not going to be effective. Your and my base must be at home, and this is not at home. Now, this is what Malcolm said in 1964. And this is, this. see, this is what made him the greater threat beyond all of the garbage that we hear, all of the mess we hear about, you know, the conflict between him and Elijah Muhammad and all this kind. See, these people were just tools in a process that was being operated by the global white supremacy dynamic because what this man was trying to do was essentially the same thing that Garvey was trying to do. He said, you know, we have to build a, uh, Africa has to be a power base that can protect African people all over the world.
2: And that's the most thats the most common sense solution out of all the solutions that we're faced with. It's, it's, it's almost like if you work at a company and you constantly complain about your manager, you constantly complain about your supervisor, you constantly complain about your pay, you constantly complain about not having enough time off. you constantly complain about being overworked. Well, you know, anybody that's been in that situation knows that no matter how hard you complain, you're not going to change the corporate system. Yeah, you may, you may get a policy change here or there, but the culture of the, corp- the corporate company and system that you work for is ultimately going to remain the same, and they're going to control how high you can go. So people in the past who have been frustrated with companies have said to themselves, let me leave this company, leave it the way it is. And either A, start my own company or B, work somewhere else that's more in line with my my goals and my ideals where I can be treated fairly. It's Mm -hmm. common sense. It's the same thing when it comes to a nation. Mm-hmm. If you inside inside, because a nation is, is nothing but a corporation. You have the president who's the CEO, right? You have other people that are under the president mm-hmm. that are the executives, mm-hmm. and they run the corporation based on bringing in revenues and obtaining power. It's the same structure that goes back to the plantation structure. So- when you look at it that way, you have to ask yourself: Do you still want to be enslaved and work for the same people that are going to treat you the same way? When you know you're being treated wrong, or do you want to move on and build your own corporation?
0: There's a critical mass who wants to stay on the plantation, brother. Hmm. You know, fear-driven defeatism, and I'm a while they talked about it. You
2: know, and the, I mean, and yeah. it's like that. It's like that. Even in the in the workforce, you got a lot of people who. They're we're working the same position for years. They're comfortable doing it. If you're comfortable doing that, then I'm not speaking to those people. I'm speaking to the people who are consciously aware of what's going on and who are, are complaining about what's happening and looking for a solution. Yeah, Those are the people that, you know, okay, look, you could talk all day, but at some point you got to make a move and actually start to build upon that. That was one of the first things. The second thing I wanted to say is when you look at this criminal system, the 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 slave system was set up to control the mind of the slave. Oh yeah. I read something earlier this week where in Arizona the institutions in Arizona banned a book from inmates being able to read this book called Chokehold. Choke a chokehold was is a book that talks about the injustices being done to black people by this system. They banned the book mm-hmm. out of fear of the minds of the people in the prison being transformed. Mm. Yes, sir. Yeah, I got it on my form.
0: A brother sent that to me. Um, and something else about the vote, I have to check it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, brother, of um, Bobby Wright, uh, of our good distinguished brother, uh, psychoanalyst and other things, He wrote, he writes, there's one essential condition in order for the process of menthicide to be effective, namely the control of the opposing group's institutions. Hmm. And you can name those institutions across the board um, in the debilitating effect that they've had on the consciousness of African people. You know, it's uh, examples out there. uh, I really don't want to. You know, getting the non-African examples, but I know uh, Dr. Teray uh, went to Southeast Asia and saw the organizational efforts of the National Liberation Front, and every institution was designed to accomplish one end. You know, it was the defeat of imperialism. We have no unifying vision to start with, let alone force. To make that vision come into reality, I mean, you know, Doctor, what is the ideology? What is the ideology? First of all, at the basis of it all, and then what tactics do we employ to arrive at, particularly, and this a discussion,
2: it's brother? That it's like a, it's like I said, when I look at the leaders who, come on, who have the Garvey mentality, it's an independent, power-seeking mentality. Versus a reformist um, believing that you can change the system mentality. Now, for the people, like you said, that want to stay on the plantation, you can have that reformist mentality. But ultimately, if the people who have the mindset of the independent power mentality, power seeking mentality, achieve their goal, it'll be easier for you to achieve your goal because if you have a power base like Baba Makaru just talked about being at home then you have a backing then you have a force behind you that can make these nations enact these laws to protect the rights of the people who choose to live in this country because without without having that power base who else does the United States have to a- have to answer to mm-hmm. so when when other people's citizens come over here you know when Chinese citizens come over here yes, sir. and they stay in the United States, there is a level of protection yes, sir. that they have from their nation state where yes. they can come in go- the same way when you know, um, LaVar Ball's son got arrested in China the, and the other students in UCLA and how the United States was able to go in and negotiate to get them out of prison. That's a level of protection From their citizenship here Mm -hmm. So imagine if you had A level of protection where An African nation had the power To step up And meet with the United States government on your behalf To make sure that your rights were protected Somebody that had the power And the force to actually go to the UN And make them act Not just go and, and, and talk For show and put up Videos as if this is uh, a power structure that's working efficiently when we know that a lot of the powerful countries pretty much ignore the UN. Oh yeah.
1: Well it's certainly the United States does whenever whenever they choose to and, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's why it's important to to try to find you know allies you know on the continent because the continent needs uh a, a cadre of leadership that pushes beyond what Kwame Nkrumah and Secretary and Julius Nyeri and, and the others were able to do you know Modibo Kieta Ke- and Amaka Cabral, because you you now have you have to remove an, an entrenched neo-colonial class you know we put up this article about how uh about 90 over 90% of Ghana's wealth you know uh, goes to benefit people outside of Ghana you know the the Ghanaian people only benefit, I think the article said, from about 2% of, uh, of of the wealth, you know, that the country that the country produces. And this is ridiculous because you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, I said, you know, weak need, paid off. African politicians allow the masses of their people to be ripped off. This is how neocolonialism works. Africans hold political office. International capitalists controls their economies. So, uh you know, and they said, every, every every year, you know, Ghana's wealth is stolen, you know, and they just gave just one example of of uh, of gold. Uh, you know, we have that article up on uh, on African Liberation Media. We are running short of time, and I do want to point out one thing that will be taking place before we get together again, and that is uh, African Liberation Day uh 2019. And the, uh, the, the the major uh, demonstration will be in uh, in Washington D.C. on Saturday, May May 25th. Um, and the theme for this year is that sanctions, uh, weapons of mass destruction in the uh, they call them the Trump sanctions against Zimbabwe. Actually, they're not the Trump sanctions; they're the United States sanctions because um, you know sanctions were first imposed on uh, the government of Zimbabwe, which was then being led by Robert Mugabe in 2001 by George W. Bush, and continued every year after, you know, every year they have to renew the sanctions. And so uh, Bush renewed them every year. Barack Obama renewed them every year. And of course, Donald Trump is gonna renew them every year. But uh, the December 12th movement, African Liberation Day uh, Coordinating Committee for 2019, um, some of my old allies, including uh, Dr. Howard Fuller, who I work with, um, uh, and, and Gene Locke, uh, see his name on here, the Jeffries, Rosalind Leonard, uh, Brother Small, Pam Africa. Um, we worked uh, in, in May of 1972. We had a massive demonstration. We had about 35,000 people in D.C., and our focus was on making people aware that our brothers were engaged in armed struggle on the continent, and uh, that generated a lot of support. Uh, we we gave our personal as much support as we could, material support to, for Limo to help them defeat the uh, the Portuguese in Mozambique. So African Liberation Day will be taking place. Uh, uh, the The assembly and rally will start at 12 o'clock at the African American Civil War Museum on uh, Vermont Street uh, and U Street in Northwest D.C. So. Um, you know it's another african liberation day another chance for us to uh, to raise the issue of african liberation and empowerment and once again this has been the african liberation media and and we say at the end of each program bb for hodia which means african liberation bb for Abibi
3: bb for for power or the lack of power i want to repeat this power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes that does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power you are being miseducated and misled and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history, then, must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.